So what I want to talk with you about this morning is having faith to see the invisible. Having faith to see the invisible, a concept I draw from what we just read there in verse 27, where Moses talks about he, he was able to leave Egypt without fearing the king's anger, quote, because he saw him who was invisible, which, uh, depending on what you think about faith in the first place, might already be a really ironic thing for you, a funny thing, because uh, particularly, you know, most secular people today, if you talk about this, they'll tell you, oh, that's exactly what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely, you talk about having faith in God, uh, faith in this historical person named Jesus, whoever it is, they'll say, yeah, yeah, you, you're, you're putting your faith and trust in something invisible. Not at all meaning something we simply can't see, but meaning you're putting your faith in something that's not there. there there's nothing there. You are putting your faith in something invisible, much like we would counsel a young child who's, you know, terrified of the monsters in their closet. It's going to be okay. And yet, putting your faith in what you can't see, that, that's something we do every day of our lives. We do this all the time. Uh, um, whether you're a religious person or not, there, there's general examples of this, uh, things like just getting on an airplane, having faith that your luggage is actually on the same plane as you, having faith that uh, the, the, the guys put enough fuel in the plane to actually get you to your destination. We didn't see any of those things happen, but we have faith that they happened. We, we trust that they happen. That's more general, a more specific example of something that, that we experience hundreds of times a day is the way we use something called proprioception. It's a big $10 word for you, proprioception. Uh, That's something we use every day. Uh, something that neurophysiologist Simon Gandavia defined this way in a recent article in The Scientist magazine. Something, sometimes referred to as the sixth sense. Proprioception includes the sense of position and movement of our limbs, the senses of muscles and the effort and the sense of balance. These senses triggered by our everyday activities allow us to carry out our tasks successfully without thinking, end quote, and which I would also add, without seeing. So just to give you an idea, this proprioception is the thing that allows you to sit in that dark movie theater and reach down, grab that big fistful of popcorn, M&Ms, whatever it is, without looking down at the bag. You have a sense of where your arm is, and you just reach down and grab and keep eating. You don't need to look down. It's this thing that enables you to take a laundry basket and go down the stairs without having to look at every step. Your, your, your mind, somehow, without having to look at it, can, can see and trust how much, how hard do I need to step. It just knows what to do. And, of course, the more familiar you are with the space, the more familiar you are with the activity, the stronger that sixth sense becomes. Well, we're continuing our teaching series this morning through Hebrews 11 by faith. We're going to take a break next week for a while to uh, go through our Advent series, and we'll hit it up again after Christmas. But each week we've been doing this. We're looking at these seemingly impossible things that these men and women in the Bible were enabled to accomplish. And as we've seen repeatedly, the means by which they were enabled to accomplish those seemingly impossible things was faith, by faith. And as we continue to look now at the life of Moses, we see at least two examples from our passage here where he had to have faith in something he couldn't see. Verse 27, he had to have faith to be delivered from the anger of Pharaoh and realize his future destiny. Verse 28, 
Moses needed to have faith in a means of deliverance from destruction that seemed unfamiliar and which appeared to be insufficient. And and in both of those cases, the one that Moses had to look to to deliver him, he he couldn't see. He was invisible. And the reason I think this is so relevant for us to look at today is because whenever the circumstances of our lives, whatever they may be, threaten to destroy us, threaten to destroy those we love, threaten to destroy our, our vision of what the future we think should look like, we look for ways or means that we can see to deliver us, don't we? We're looking around, well, what can I see that's going to help me right now? So, so when you are about to be fired from that company that you built from the ground up and they're about to like send you out to pasture, when, when that spouse you've been married to for 20 years is about to walk out the door, when the doctor tells you that your child has this terminal diagnosis, these really amazing, awful things to tripping and falling. Uh, Any time we're in, we're threatened, we're looking for people, we're looking for solutions we can see to, to grab onto. Like, like how, how am I going to get out of this? And yet, particularly in those really big, life-threatening, uh, uh, future-threatening, family-threatening scenarios, what we learn from the life of Moses is that in the midst of the devastating circumstances of life, the only way to truly escape destruction is to put our faith in, really to see the God who is unseen, and to put our faith in His ability to deliver us. One of the really cool things about this is that just like with proprioception, the more familiar you become with God, and the more familiar you become with the activity of putting your faith in Him, the easier having faith to see the invisible becomes. So, how do we do this? Uh, In order to help us understand, hopefully, how we can learn to do this better and better in our own lives and experience a true deliverance from the circumstances of life that threaten to destroy us, I want to look at our passage today in just two ways. We're going to talk about having faith for future effectiveness and then having faith for present deliverance. Faith for future effectiveness and present deliverance. So if you close your Bibles, would you open them up again to that passage, Hebrews 11 to 27. Follow along with me as we learn from the life of Moses what it means to have faith to see the invisible. Okay, so let's talk first of all about having faith for future effectiveness. Faith for future effectiveness. Look with me at verse 27. It's going to set the context for us says, again, by faith he, that's Moses, left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. Now, if you're not very familiar with the life of Moses, if, if most of what you know from, about Moses came from like cartoons like Prince of Egypt or like Christian Bale, Gods and Kings, if that's kind of most of what you know about Moses, it might, you might read that and immediately you just say, oh, okay, that's, I think that's talking about the Exodus, right? Didn't Moses lead all God's people out of Egypt from Pharaoh? Is that, that's probably what he's talking about. And it's possible that, that that could be what verse 27 is referring to. But some problems with that conclusion are, first of all, when Moses leads the people out of Egypt after that 10th and final plague, Moses isn't worried that Pharaoh will be angry about them leaving. Pharaoh is demanding that they leave. I want you out of here. 
So, so he's not worried about Pharaoh's anger. Secondly, after telling us that Moses left Egypt by faith in verse 27, verse 28 starts to talk about the Passover, an event that took place before Moses and the people could leave. So, so there's, a, there's a chronological problem with that conclusion as well. And so what a number of commentators point out is that this leaving Egypt by faith is likely not referring to the Exodus, but referring to the first time that Moses left Egypt 40 years earlier. You can read about that when you go to Exodus chapter 2. This is where Moses first senses God's calling on his life, that he is to to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. And so in an act that I think he believes is going to like stir up uh, support for him, that maybe that's going to help build up a rebellion of these really massive numbers of Israelite slaves, he kills an Egyptian who he sees beating a Hebrew slave and he buries him in the sand. But next day, instead of getting like high fives and, and everyone's like, yeah, let's do this, um, he finds out that this deliverance that he thought he'd brought about in secret is known by everyone and no one is interested in joining him in any kind of rebellion. And so as a result, Moses has to leave behind everything. He's got to leave behind the home he's known all his life. He's got to leave behind his people. And he flees to the land of Midian where he spends the next 40 years working as a shepherd. Total life of obscurity. Now, yes, sure, when, when, when we hear Moses fleeing Egypt, it can sound a lot like, well, well, maybe verse 27, it must be referring to the Exodus. Because we know by that time, Moses is like totally beefed up. He, his faith is strong. He's leaving, not afraid of Pharaoh. So maybe that is what it's referring to. But if you look closely at that reasoning in the second half of verse 27, in chapter 11 here, I think it gives us an idea that that first exit is still the most probable, makes more sense. Look again. It says, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. He saw him who is invisible. Now, we don't have time to to unpack this and flesh this out this morning, but listen, there's all kinds of references throughout the Bible that are going to strongly suggest that him who is invisible, that's God. Okay, him who is invisible, he's referring directly to God. So, so seeing that, verse 27 is ultimately showing us not that, not that Moses was somehow just unaware or, or indifferent to Pharaoh's anger, only as theologian F.F. F. Bruce notes, uh, in this first exit from Egypt, Moses was sim- he simply paid more attention to the invisible king of kings than he did to the king of Egypt. I like that. He, he just paid more attention to the invisible king of kings than he did to the king of Egypt. And then he goes on. If faith is being certain of what we do not see. Remember, that's that definition of faith. If faith is being certain of what we do not see, it is first and foremost a conviction regarding the unseen God. And so as commentator Philip Hughes notes, it was not personal fear of Pharaoh, but the awareness of his destiny as the deliverer of God's covenant people that caused Moses to take flight. He saw a future purpose that God had for him, and so that's why he took flight. He wasn't getting out of there because he feared Pharaoh's anger. And I think there's a powerful application for us here that we can draw from that as we think about our own lives today, particularly if you're in a place this morning where your vision of what you thought the future would look like and God's vision, they're not lining up for you. I don't know if you're in a situation like that. 
Because whenever we're faced with circumstances that threaten to destroy our vision of the future, whether they're as a result of, of our actions or not, what is it that we're usually almost entirely focused on? The circumstances that threaten to destroy our future vision, right? We, we focus on those things. We have a laser focus on those circumstances, and then we're, we're going to apply all of our efforts, all of our strategies, all of our ways that we can think to, to try to find a way to escape those things, to escape, uh, to correct those circumstances. Just uh, what's the fastest door to get out of here? These things are bad. I got to get out of here. And you know what? I, I think Moses would have felt just like that. In those circumstances, he would have been feeling the same way. He feels this sense of, God, you're calling me to lead the people out of Israel, out of Egypt. And now, these circumstances threaten to destroy that whole future. How do I, how do I deal with this? How do, how do I correct this mistake that I've made now, which is threatening all that? And yet, what we learn from Moses' response, and, and really from all the men and women that we read about in Hebrews 11 is that the key to future effectiveness is not in setting our focus on the visible circumstances, these things that threaten to destroy our vision of the future, but on the invisible God who sovereignly reigns over those circumstances. Say that again, the key to future effectiveness, not in setting our vision and our focus on the circumstances, but in setting our vision and focus on the God who reigns sovereignly over those circumstances trusting that he knows better than us, trusting that he, he's still in control, and trusting that he is not limited by any of the things that limit us. And that's just the thing, man. If we claim to know God as our Father, we've got we to gotta do something. We've got to recon, reconcile somehow with this idea where on the one hand, we want to have this God, He's a sovereign God, and then on the other hand, we want to be able to say, well, actually, I think we can see better than you do, though. You can't have both those things, right? He either is sovereign and He knows better, or He's not, and, and we can actually know better. We need to tell Him how it's supposed to work out. We, we can't have both of those things at the same time. And listen, no, I'm not suggesting at all for a second that, that Moses saw the whole picture. That God gave him this vision of, hey, listen, it's all going to work out. He didn't. He didn't have that, and he was freaked out in this moment. He was scared. But as Moses left Egypt that first time, he could leave without fear of the circumstances. Pharaoh's anger, future effectiveness being jeopardized. Why? Because his faith wasn't in his future calling. His faith was in the God who had called him. Which, by the way, is what it means to see him who is invisible. And if you know the story of Moses, it was a faith that was rewarded, albeit 40 years later, when God appeared to him in a burning bush and said, Moses, you, you were right. You, you were right about the what. Okay, I really have called you to deliver my people out of slavery. You were just wrong about the when and the how. And you know what? It's going to be no different with you and I today. Uh, whatever future vision of success you have, whatever future vision of effectiveness you have for your own life, whatever, picture it in your own mind. Maybe it's a, a restored marriage. Maybe it's uh, your children going on to have successful careers. Maybe it's having your health restored. If I could just finally be at that place where I don't struggle this way anymore. Maybe it's have future career ses- success after uh, graduation. Whatever it is. We must always seek to ground our hope 
in the unseen God and not in that future vision being realized. We need to ground our hope here and not here. Because to ground our hope in in that future vision being realized means that the circumstances of life are always going to be pounding at the door threatening to destroy us. They could take that away in a minute, but, but the circumstances don't apply here, right? They can't touch this. So put your focus here and not here. And what does that look like? <laughs> How do you actually do that? I wanna, I'll try to give you an example from my own life. Um, it will not be perfect, but it'll give you, I hope, an idea. My own life right now, if, if I'm seeing him who is invisible like Moses, and listen, everybody hear the word, I said if. If I'm seeing him who is invisible like Moses, because I'll tell you what, for every one time that, that by faith I do this, there's five times that I don't, okay? If I am seeing him who is invisible like Moses. A lot of you know that uh, two years ago, my wife and I were in a car accident uh, that continues to affect her health to this day. Um, if I'm seeing him who is invisible like Moses, I can no longer see that car accident two years ago, that continues to affect my wife's health and that continues to to threaten our future vision of what we hoped for every day, I can no longer see that event as a random circumstance that I need to correct, that I need to fix. I can only see it as the loving redirection of a sovereign God that knew that what we needed most, more than physical health, was the opportunity to learn deeper dependence on him every day. And that's really hard to do. It sucks a lot. And, and we fight back against it all the time. But I'll tell you what, the, the beauty, the real beauty that I see God forming in my family as a result of that redirection I believe it's going to bring about a future effectiveness in all of us that I would not trade. But my faith, my faith can't be in well, when Sarah's better, when our family is able to operate the way we want to do all these things, then, then, it's, then God's good, then you're in control. No. It has to start with Him alone. And, and if this is the path that God has chosen for me to walk, then it will be effective. It is good. Even if it doesn't feel like that right now. So that's a little bit. Uh, that's what it could look like. Seeing things differently. Putting our trust in Him rather than our future vision of effectiveness being lived out. Last thing I want to look, at, look with you together with is Faith for present deliverance. Faith for present deliverance. And I know this is something we feel all the time, don't we? Help me, get up, get me out of this now. Where we see that need for present deliverance in our passage is in verse 28. Look there with me if you have it open still. It says, By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. This, if you're familiar again with the story, is referring to that tenth and final plague that God sent on the land of Egypt that we read about in Exodus 11. There God tells Pharaoh through Moses that at midnight 
the angel of death is going to sweep through the entire land of Egypt and kill the firstborn son in every home. Uh, from, from Pharaoh and his palace all the way down to the household of the slave girl. Every home's going to be touched, even the firstborn of the cattle. Which at first sounds good. That sounds like the, the knockout punch is going to be like, okay, finally, finally Pharaoh's probably going to let the people go. Until you keep reading into Exodus 12, and we learn that the destroyer of the firstborn, that's what Hebrews 11 calls him, he's going to sweep through every home. Every home in Egypt, not just the homes of the Egyptians, which is actually something unique about this tenth plague. The previous nine plagues, the people of Israel were exempted. They weren't touched. Now, here they are. They're included in the judgment. Now, mercifully, God provides a means of deliverance from this plague. Right? He, he tells his people, you take a year-old lamb without blemish, slaughter it, take the blood and put it on the doorposts of the front of your home. And his promise to them is, is this, Exodus 12, 13, the blood will be a sign for you on your houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's where that word Passover comes from. I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Now, what's that about? What's going on there? Why, I mean, God has always exempted his people before. Why not now? Uh, he, he's always, supposedly he's called Moses here to deliver the people out of Egypt, out of their slavery. Why are they now included in this judgment that he's pouring out on these wicked Egyptians that are enslaving them? Why would he include them? And we know they are included. They are included because you notice God didn't say, when I see that you're one of my people, I'll pass over you. When I see that you got the right jersey on, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll pass over you. No, no, no. He says, when I see the blood, when I see the demonstration, the evidence of your faith in me, I will pass over you. So what's that about? What's, what's going on? Well, well, big picture, I think what God is demonstrating in that 10th and final plague is that the previous nine plagues, those were warnings. Okay? Those were warnings. But this final last plague is about his judgment coming down and coming down fully. And here's the thing. When God's judgment for sin comes down upon the earth, no one is exempt. You're not exempt. I'm not exempt. No one is. Romans 3.23, Apostle Paul reminds us plainly, all have sinned and fallen short of the, God, the glory of God. Romans 6.23, he adds, in the wages of sin, the, the, the just penalty that's going to be put down on that sin is death. That's, that touches all of us. Those of you who were here a few years ago when we went through Malachi, remember that, that, that horrible statement, that horrible promise that Malachi makes as he's prophesying when he says, but, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? So for Moses and the people of Israel, the test of faith, seeing him who is invisible, what that looked like for them was first of all to believe that this tenth and final plague truly would bring deliverance from their slavery in Egypt. And the previous nine plagues hadn't worked. Why would this one, why would Pharaoh now be like, okay, yeah, now you can go. They had to, they had to have faith that this was actually going to work. And secondly, the angel of death is coming through to take all the firstborn sons. They have to trust and have faith in this strange, unfamiliar ritual that it's actually going to be effective to save their sons. Think about your firstborn child. If you have one, you're going to 
You know an angel's coming tonight to kill all the firstborn sons, and all you're doing is putting some blood on your doorpost? That's going to stop him? It doesn't seem like an effective means of deliverance. But as Alec Matir notes in his commentary, the essence of faith is the trust that obeys. I love that. The essence of faith is the trust that obeys. And this was the point to which Israel came, knowing unmistakably how great was the power of the enemy, equally unaware of their own weakness and helplessness, yet ready to pit all on obedience to the command and promise of God. Now, they they could have sought their own means. They could have looked for solutions that they could see to deliver them. Hey, let's sneak out. Tonight, let's just run to get out of Egypt. Uh, 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 Let's hide under the bed. I don't know what you could do, but they could have looked for means that they thought were possible to deliver them. But seeing him who was invisible required that, listen, just as we saw a few weeks ago, just as, as the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham was on the other side of his obedience to actually offer up his son, same thing here. The deliverance of God's people could only be found on the other side of their obedience to shelter themselves under the protection of the blood of a lamb. Which is powerfully descriptive, I think, of what it looks like for us today as well. There's all kinds of circumstances that threaten us that we might want present deliverance from, but there is no greater circumstance that we need deliverance from than the truth that we stand guilty and helpless under the coming judgment of God against sin ourselves. That is our greatest need for deliverance, present deliverance. And those circumstances certainly threaten to destroy us if we're not delivered from them. We can seek our own means. We can seek our own solutions to try and be delivered. Uh, Devout religiosity. I'm going to just keep the rules as best as I can so God has to deliver me. Or maybe I'm just going to try and deny that things like sin and judgment even exist. Now, I don't believe in that. Those are, those are solutions we could see that might, we might think are going to deliver us, but we know each and every one of those things will fail. Or we can trust by faith in the means that God provided by sheltering ourselves under the protection of the blood of His Son, the Lamb of God, slain on our behalf. Now, yes, yes, that present deliverance requires faith in the unseen, least of which because it's putting our hope in something that's done for us and not something we can do ourselves. We have to trust in the work of another. But just as Moses put his faith in God's means of deliverance and saw that God was faithful, both to deliver them from that judgment as well as their slavery in Egypt, so we too can know those same freedoms. We can know freedom from condemnation. We can know freedom from slavery to sin when we trust in the means of deliverance that God has mercifully provided for all who come to him in faith. It is effective means for present deliverance now when we put our faith in a God who is unseen and trust in those means to deliver us. In the opening chapter of Paul's letter to the Colossian church, he writes this, For he, that that is God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption. That that Son is the one that brings us redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. That's what the redemption looks like. 
which I think, given what we've been looking at this morning, it's almost using that same language, isn't it, of the Passover and Exodus, being delivered out of this kingdom of darkness by the work of another, by the blood of another, and being delivered to a kingdom of the son he loves. Powerfully describes a spiritual reality for us when we, we shelter ourselves under the protection of Jesus' blood. But although, listen, Paul doesn't state this. I don't have any proof at all that this is what he had in mind. In light of what we just have been talking about this morning, and specifically verse 27 that talks about Moses' faith to see him who is invisible, I find it incredibly comforting and interesting that Paul's very next words as he's describing this Jesus is he says, he is the image of the invisible God. As though God was saying, ah, you're not always going to have to just trust and hope in, in something you can't see. I'm going to take on flesh and come and show you what the invisible God looks like. The beginning of Hebrews tells us, uh, again, he, he is the exact imprint of God. He is God with skin on. He's what the invisible God looks like. I don't know what impossible circumstances you're facing today. That's not true. Some of you I do. Maybe the circumstances you're, fa you're facing right now are threatening your entire vision of the, what the, f the future was going to be like. You thought it would look like this, and the circumstances you're going through right now are threatening that, and life just looks scary and, and unpredictable and overwhelming because you're being redirected in circumstances of life that you didn't plan for. You didn't think it would work out like this. Maybe the circumstances you're facing are making you feel like you're enslaved. Like maybe you feel like you're beyond God's reach or ability to deliver you. That sin is just too ingrained in me. That addiction is just too powerful to be delivered from. Whatever it is, whatever you're facing, I pray that the witness of Moses that we've been looking at this morning would at least begin to inspire hope in you. Once again, hope, hope that de deliverance is possible. That freedom is possible. But I pray that you'd also see that true and lasting deliverance is not always going to be found in seeing escape from the circumstances that threaten us. True deliverance, true freedom is found in seeing the unseen God who sovereignly controls those circumstances by, by, by seeking to see Jesus. The image of the invisible God, the, the true picture of of the invisible God, who God sent to earth 2,000 years ago to reveal what he looks like, as well as to give his life as an atoning sacrifice for our sin, to, to bring about that deliverance, to bring about that freedom from slavery. Which I get it. It's, that's hard to do. That's, that's especially at first, but that's re something really hard to do because, I don't know about you, but I don't see Jesus anymore. Yeah, God sent Jesus to kind of say, this is what I'm like, but he's, he's not here physically anymore. I, we don't see Jesus right now, and if you do, I'd love to talk to you after the service. We don't see him right now, but listen, I can promise you this. Just as we said when we began, the more familiar you become with the loving, powerful, sovereign God that Jesus has revealed himself to be in his word, 
The more familiar you become with, with the practice of putting your faith in Him, the easier having faith to see the invisible becomes. It's a practice. It takes effort. It takes work. It takes intentionality. But the more we do it, the easier it becomes. Writing to a church that was also suffering under threatening circumstances, but like us, had also come to faith after Jesus had already ascended into heaven, the Apostle Peter wrote these words. He said, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. God, give us faith to see the invisible. Amen.